This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. Jonathan Taylor Thomas talks Major League Baseball edition. Um, John, AJ Preller, our guy. He awoke from his coma. He's been. He really did. He's been asleep. He went full. No, he didn't. He went full AJ Preller because that's what AJ Preller did five years ago, seven years ago. How long was the Upton trade ago? Whatever that was, the Craig Kimball <laughs> trade. When was that? Was that seven years ago? Was that, that, was, years? that was uh, at least six years ago. That's why. I think it, I care. It's, it's been a while. It has been a while. Well, he's been stocking his war chest of prospects. And he didn't even unload all of them. He didn't even unload everything. He didn't destroy the pipeline. He got everybody. That's the crazy crazy thing to me that stood out amid everything with, you know, with the Padres deadline is that they didn't give up Mackenzie Gore. They didn't give up Luis Patino. They didn't give up um, really like the, the top prospect they gave up was probably Taylor Trammell. And that's a dude who is now on his third team who very clearly, you know, does not seem to be a kind of guy that the Padres felt that they could really count on going forward. Um, so that that's that's the part about about all that that's craziest to me. They really did not have to give up much that I think they're going to miss. I am, and in just... exchange they got so many help. Like not just not just Mike Clevenger, obviously, but so many helpful pieces for not just this season, but also um, next season too. Obviously, the case of Clevenger. Um, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head whether the other guys are – I think Nola might be uh, a guy for next year, but I'm not sure. But, yeah, what a, what a fucking deadline, huh? 26 players exchanged just from A.J. Preller. Feels like there should be more. Like, that feels light, honestly. Do you agree with what he did? Because the discussion around this was – why go in in this kind of season? Why really put all your chips in? And it's like he didn't put all his chips in. Like they're yeah, that's the thing. Fine. I was feel like I completely agree with him doing it because he didn't put all his chips in. Like 
he he didn't give up anything. I don't think that the Padres are going to miss a lot going forward. You know, maybe maybe your your valuation of, of Gabriel Arias like from mine. I, I don't really have one. Or maybe you think he's a he, he was going to be a bigger piece going forward. Or maybe you think you know the that um, that Seattle's going to unlock Taylor Trammell in some capacity. Fine, great, whatever. I still don't think the Padres are going to miss that. Especially when you look at you know what they got, what they got. You know they got Mike Clevenger, they got Austin Nola, they got. I look Your how man, weird Mitch Moreland. I, I yeah, I mean they got Mitch Moreland for two prospects are probably not going to miss. Like, I love how weird twenty twenty is by the way that Mitch Moreland and Austin Nola count as like impact trade additions. Twenty twenty is what weird. a bizarre. I mean, I wanted like they just got everybody that I wanted the Braves to get. Like I wanted, I really wanted Clevenger as we talked about, and I really wanted. Mitch Moreland, because I, I can't do any more of Adams, and I, I think just DH Mitch Moreland would have been very nice, because Brace... Matt, Adam, well, Matt, yeah. Adams, Matt Adams is gone now. He got DFA, right? Yeah, he did. But I'm saying, like, anybody else who they're going to put in there, and just watching Matt Adams yeah. last week, it's like, no, you, you got to go ahead and uh, kick his ass out, and uh, Mitch Moreland's actually been hitting really well. Very weird. It is very weird, but... Hardest hitting balls, like, I too, think I think, gonna... from Fangraphs. I don't think there's any real risk in, in going for it. It's just because when you do consider, like, you know, if Clevenger is, um, I think Clevenger is the only real guy that matters for next year. And one, that's a, he's a good player to have around. And two, it's not as if he's going to be expensive, you know, like the Padres didn't, this isn't like when they, when they traded for Kemp and up and, and Kimbrell and added all these, not just like big names, but also um, in some cases, I think in Kemp's case in particular, big contracts and gave up a fair number of prospects to do it. This is this is some this is guys who won't be around who aren't going to have any real payroll impact. And in Clevenger's case, it's one of the like what thirty best starters in baseball, give or take. Yeah. You know, there's I, I I don't really see like you know you think about it, I don't really see any real issue anyone could have with San Diego's deadline. I think they nailed it. You know, every move they made made sense. They didn't give up too much. You know, like, they got players who were going to help them. You know, and Trevor Rosenthal and Mitch Moreland and Nola and Clevenger and even guys like like Austin Adams and Dan Altavilla can actually be helpful, you know, or Taylor Williams or Jason Castro. You know, and they upgraded at the spots where they needed to upgrade. You know, catcher was a real problem for them. They fixed that. Um, the bullpen could have used some extra arms. They fixed that. Clevenger obviously is an upgrade no matter what, but they fix that. Moreland is a good. Their bench needed probably could use an extra bat, you know, for the left side. They fix that. Like it was a, and not, not only that, they got it all done early. This wasn't this wasn't like they got Clevenger done at like four four oh one p.m. or something. He was done by I think noon. Um, yeah, I mean, it really just it, it, it's kind of sad because like there's no real drama to it, which doesn't really make for good argumentation. But like it was a perfect deadline for AJ Preller. There's no real argument against it. I don't think. The people who are there's a certain subset of sports fans now, and I tweeted about this the other day when this was all going on. Um, if your response to AJ Preller doing what he did Monday was, I don't know why you're doing all this when the Dodgers are looming. Okay, the entire reason for professional sports is to go for it is to try and win a title to do what you can to win. It's not your money. It's not your prospects. You just want to see your team do everything they can to win a championship. 
that is all you really want is to see your team try. And the idea that nobody should try is insanity. And I hate that line of thinking of just, well, the Dodgers are there, so nobody else should try and match them. That is the dumbest, most backwards-ass line of thinking that drives me up the fucking wall. I remember that was a thing... um, I was going to say that was a, that was a deal like last year. I remember teams, I forget who did the survey. but I think it was Ian the Philly saying, it's like, what is the point of competing for the, to win the wild card? If you're, if your reward is a first round date with the Dodgers. And then the team that does win the wild card beats the Dodgers in the first round. Like you can't just, you know, you can't just say that this stuff is going to be like, yeah, you still got to play the games. Right. And like, Preller understands that. Like, are the, are the Padres going to win the NOS? No, probably not. Like, the Dodgers are a very, very good team. They are the best team in baseball. I think AJ Preller is pretty aware of that fact. Does that mean it's not worth the Dodgers trying? Of course not. Or sorry, the Padres trying? Of course not. Does that mean that crazy things can't happen in the month of September and the Padres can't reel off an insane month and maybe take the division away somehow? No. And on top of that, like they're still going to make the playoffs anyway. Right. And now they've made themselves a better team for the playoffs because now they have Mike Clevenger starting Game One of their postseason series. You know, they had because it has not been a great season for Chris Paddock. And that was kind of the thing you be probably worried about a little with the Padres is, OK, like who's starting game one of that series for them? You know, Paddock hasn't been great. Garrett Richards hasn't been great. Denilson Lamette is a great pitcher with great stuff, but kind of hit or miss. Like, you know, now you have Clevenger and now that becomes a much easier question of like, oh, hey, this is the guy we're going to this is the guy who's going to start game one for us, theoretically, at least. Um. And then that's it. They're going to make the playoffs. You know, they're going to make the playoffs regardless of whether or not they win the division. And they, if they do have to face the Dodgers, it's probably not going to be until the NLCS. If the Dodgers make it that far, because we never know. I mean, the, the Dodgers right now can end up in a short series against the Mets and have to face Jacob deGrom. I know the Mets are the Mets probably won't make the playoffs and they're a terrible team, but that's just like, there, there is one just like easy example. Like, it does not, this shit ain't played on paper. You know, and I, are there really people who are complaining about the Padres going for it when the Dodgers exist? Because that's crazy to me. This is a team that's never won a World Series. Yep. They should go for it every opportunity they have, even in this weird, messed up season where nothing is actually real. You know, like if there's if there's one concern you have for, for being if you're the Padres, it's that at any point, a COVID outbreak or second wave, in, in some cases, I guess the continuation of the already existing wave could wreck the season before it gets to that point. But, like, again, they didn't really give anything up that they're going to be like, oh, no, we never should have done this. It's not like they gave up Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino for Clevenger, and it's like, wow, that's a huge risk to take. No, they gave up Taylor Trammell. They gave up a guy they clearly weren't 100% on, you know? They gave up um, high-ceiling, low-floor guys like Hudson Potts and, um, well, I guess Trammell also kind of falls in that category. You know, they gave up guys who were far away from the majors. They didn't give up guys who hurt, who were going to hurt them going forward. So, yeah, I, I can't. Im- that's the thing. Like again, there's there's no real drama. I can't imagine being upset with what the Padres did. I can't imagine finding fault in what the Padres did. They had a perfect deadline. You know. In your estimation, who else had a a good deadline? Your winners and losers. Who won and who lost? I think the Blue Jays had a good deadline. Yeah, um, I liked what they did. It was pretty low. It was pretty low cost. I, Robbie Ray is certainly 
not an ideal like an ideal choice at this point for a variety of reasons. Um, Especially because he's leaving. There's probably no way he resigns in Toronto. No, there's a, there's absolutely no way he resigns. And I also I don't even know what Robbie Ray's like. What was I going to say? I don't I don't know what Robbie Ray's um, mark is even going to look like coming off the horrible season he's had. But he costs virtually nothing, so you might as well. Ross Stripling is a nice addition. You know, guy who can start or relieve, be in that kind of swingman role. Jonathan VR is a perfectly good bench bat. It's good insurance for for in case Bobichet doesn't make it back this season. And again, for a team that very very likely should make the playoffs. So I, I liked what the Blue Jays did. I thought they made a, a few nice kind of you know low impact but also low cost moves that you know it, it just it solidified things. And I think that was a lot of what teams did was just kind of solidifying position. Um, I also like. Uh, let me Marlins stop you right did. there. I can tell you one team that did oh. not solidify their positions at the deadline. There's one team in particular who did not uh, do that, uh, John Taylor. The Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves did not do that, but continue. Uh, I like what the Marlins did, buying low on Sterling. Not necessarily buying low on Sterling Marte, but taking advantage of the fact that the Diamondbacks, for whatever reason, don't think he's worth $12.5 million next year, which is crazy to me, especially because they didn't really get that much back for him. Caleb Smith is a perfectly nice arm, but he's kind of a fringe mid-rotation guy. Umberto Mejia looks like a future reliever. Uh, the third guy in that trade is kind of some far-off prospect, I believe. So, you know, I guess on the flip side, I didn't like what the Diamondbacks did this deadline. I, I mean, I can understand, like, the, you know, it, it's a bad season in Arizona. Obviously, they weren't going to buy. But I don't really get giving up Marte for that little. You know, that's a guy I feel like $12.5 million like, is really not a lot of money, especially for a guy like Sterling Marte. You know, who, who are you replacing him with anyway? So they had Dalton Varsho playing center field last night. He's a catcher. Like that's, um, I thought I liked what the Reds did from getting Archie Bradley and Brian Goodwin. I just wonder if it's too little too late for them. If they needed kind of a bigger move than that. Um, I'm assuming they just didn't like what the options were for Bauer. It is kind of surprising that, especially knowing full well, he is not coming back, that they couldn't, that they didn't want to move him. I think the team probably had the worst deadline was the Rangers. Um, which is funny because, you know, last year they had the opportunity to Mike to move Mike Miner at the height of his value. They didn't. Then they had to, you know, gave him up at this deadline for virtually nothing. And then they end up to a certain degree repeating that same mistake with Lance Lynn. So, and it seems like their asking price is probably high, and it should be. Like, it's not to say the Rangers should have just given up um, Lance Lynn to the first bidder, but that seems not going anywhere this season. It's kind of hard to imagine they're going anywhere next season because it's not as if this core is... You, you look at this team, you don't really see the core of a team that all of a sudden next season is going to be a real true blue contender, especially if you know we go back to the normal postseason format without the expanded uh, postseason. So I, I thought it was weird that they didn't move Lane. I thought it was weird they didn't move anyone at all, really. Um, I think, like you said, the Braves had a probably too quiet deadline for them. Um, I don't know if you saw this or not, uh, John, but... Braves fans were talking themselves into guys. They were like, oh, guess who? I love the reports of Braves are sniffing around on Clevenger. Sniffing around. They're, they're, uh, they're interested. Uh, the price might be too high. Like, if I hear the price might be too high one more time, I think I just might keel over from a brain aneurysm. Um, I don't know what the price was for Lance Lynn. I know what the A's gave up for Mike Miner. I, I know what the Padres ended up giving up for Mike Clevenger. I I don't know. I, I think there's this weird thing, too, where Braves fans are very 
very adamant about keeping waters in Pache. And look, I think one of the two will probably be great. But the idea that the Braves are going to hit on Acuna, Waters, and Pache in the outfield, and those are just going to be the outfield triumphant for the next 15 years, not going to happen. One of those guys is not going to pan out in Atlanta, and I think you have to pick which one you believe in more, and then you use the other one for uh, something you know can be really good right now. And if you're really... I mean, Schultz wrote a piece about this um, in The Athletic this week. Um, where it's <laughs> this is something that the Braves have done back-to-back years, where Alex Anthopoulos has avoided doing anything with the rotation, maybe because he believed too much in Fulton Evich, maybe it was because he believed too much in the young guys, but he waited as long as he possibly could to sign Dallas Keuchel. Three months. This year he waited and then signed Cole Hamels, and that backfired, obviously, way worse than Keuchel did. And... They're still just like, you know, we're fine. Like, they still have a top three run differential. The offense is great. That's why when we were talking, I was like, I wouldn't have blamed them if they had just doubled down on what they're good at, which is offense and just kick the can down the road in the rotation, whatever. You didn't even do that. You didn't even make a trade for Kyle Seeger. You didn't even just do something to upgrade this offense to make sure that they're just going to be a hard out because this offense can, can hit and I... I was stunned they didn't even do that. Um, was not stunned about the rotation because it's what the Braves do, and the payroll flexibility is a beautiful thing, folks. It's a beautiful thing. We love to see it. Um, I just, it, it's just disappointing. And the Braves fans were like, ah, uh, we're we're in good shape. We won back to back division titles. It's fine. Guess what? They haven't won a playoff series. They've been out of the division series in over twenty years. Like this, they're fine, but because they're not making that big move and they're never going to do it. Liberty is never going to do that. They're never going to do a swing for the fences move. That's just not in their DNA. I think this pseudo contention that the pirates lived in, the Indians lived in, that is the dream. And Liberty media has the dream right now. Brace fans are happy. They think that the, their team is going to be in it every year. They think that this is going to be fun. Guess what? The nationals payroll is not even close to the Braves. They won last year. The nationals invested in their starting pitching. They won last year. Um, the Braves are not going to spend like that. They're not going to go for it like the Nationals did. They're not going to sign the Patrick Corbins of the world. And uh, I think that's always going to hold them back. And it's very frustrating. Yeah, and I can understand all that. And, like, there's, you know, certainly sustainable contention or whatever you want to call it is, is, is the goal for everybody. But it, it did just feel like you got to do something one way or the other. Like, Fine, add Tommy Malone. They're worst fifth starters in baseball, and, you know, you need arms anyway, whatever. But, like you said, like, and I know this is something we talked about, is, like, where are the Braves going to find the starting pitching they want if the only options on the market are top of the, you know, top of the market options like Lynn or Clevenger, or roll the dice on a guy like Robbie Ray, you know? If the Braves had traded for Robbie Ray instead of the Blue Jays, would you feel better about the about the Braves? No. I mean, and that's the thing. Like, no, not really, because you know Ray has success, has had success in the past, but he's also a complete mess this year. And there's a decent enough chance he just gives you what Mike Fulton Avitz did last year, which is just really inconsistent and backbreaking stuff. So, I mean, I, I I don't know. I don't know who the Braves are looking at necessarily, because you know I, I you know I, I do not have, do not have a direct line to Alex Anthopoulos, but. I, I get the sense that pitching-wise, there weren't really a lot of mid-tier options available. It was either you pay through the nose for Clevenger or 
you know, whatever the you know knows being relative, or you take a flyer on someone like Miner or Ray and hope that they can fix what's wrong and that you get you know you get something good for a very low price. I wouldn't. I I think if I'm Atlanta, maybe I go ahead and do something like that. Maybe I go ahead and beat the Oakland the A's offer for Mike Miner and just give it a shot. You know, it, it is. It literally costs you like two middling prospects. You probably are never going to make an impact anyway. You know, there's a decent chance he, he can get back to, to something closer to his 2019 self. That's way better than having to rely on, you know, even beyond Tommy Malone, whoever else is in the in Braves rotation at this point. I mean, I, Dylan I Bundy. They, they, could they really have not gotten Dylan Bundy? It, I, the Angels are another team where it's like I didn't really understand their deadline. Like they they moved Goodwin, which fine, I guess, if you want to move Brian Goodwin, move Brian Goodwin. It's just weird because he wasn't blocking anyone. You know, he's a good player. Seemed like a useful piece to have around. Like, well, what's the point, really? Like, if you're the, if you're the Angels, why aren't you moving Angels and Simmons? Or Bundy, you know? Well, are you really... the Angels, Billy Upper's like, I'm gone anyway. What's the point in engaging? I'm just going to ride this out. I'm not going to spend my day freaking out and doing calls. My my tenure is I over. Like, I like the idea that Epler just, like, just like just pulled a like uh, 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 second semester senior year on the yeah. trade deadline here. So you know what? I'm gone anyway. What does it matter? Why well, do I need to think about the future of this team that I'm not going to be involved with? I am 100 percent a believer that that's what he did. There are worse strategies because, like, we both agree, like he's a goner. So what does it really matter for him? But yeah, if you're the Braves, and like, I think this is true also for the Yankees and. I think really the the Braves and the Yankees both. I think are teams where it's like you didn't, you don't necessarily have to do anything. You're in a safe spot no matter what. Both of you are going to make the playoffs one way or the other. You're both very good teams despite some injuries. But why not do something just to boost it a little bit? You know, like you look at that Braves rotation, or you you look at the Yankees lineup right now, and it's just full of holes. And like, yeah, some of those holes will be filled. Like if you're the Yankees, you're going to get Glaber Torres back. You're going to get Aaron Judge back at some point. You're going to get Giancarlo Stanton back at some point. You know, this this lineup is going to look more like the world-crushing force it was at the start of the season. But why not do something until then, just to tie your – because it's like the, the, the Yankees are in a tough spot in the division. And, like, fine, they're going to make the playoffs no matter what. But wouldn't you rather win that division than finish second? I don't know. I guess in the end, how much does it really matter? And I think a lot of teams probably took that kind of mindset of, you know, if we're going to make the playoffs, what does it matter for the fourth seed or the sixth seed? You know, if we're still going to make the playoffs anyway, why why give up anything to try to improve by one game over the next month? It's true. Which is which is part and parcel of why like there are many reasons why the expanded playoff format is not something that should continue, and that is definitely one of them because it pretty much makes it so that you just you and this is a, a topic for for a large discussion beyond just the trade deadline but just teams are just not going to be as incentivized to try and to try to do stuff if their playoff odds start if you start the season with like a 40 percent chance to make the playoffs regardless of who you are basically with the exception of you know the true bottom feeders in baseball you know then, then there's not really going to be any incentive halfway through the season unless you've suffered some really bad injuries to to add anything or to fix that you know you're just gonna be like look and then and, and that's kind of the 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 joke was that, you know, every Yankees fan knew that if the Yankees did nothing, Brian Cashman's go-to line when talking about the deadline was going to be, we've got guys coming back who are going to make, would make just as much of an impact as any player we traded for. And, like, it's true, but I don't know. It's just that that is just the reality of baseball with the expanded postseason 
and especially in this weirdo season, is like teams are just not going to be very incentivized to go for it. San Diego really was the exception to the rule. And even even when you look at what they did, like Clevenger is really the only like real go for it trade. All the rest were, were pending free agents or kind of tinkering around the edges stuff where certainly they're going to make an impact, but it's not like, again, it's not like they gave up a lot for, this isn't, this isn't, you know, Upton and Kemp and Kimbrell part two, you know, if they hadn't gotten Clevenger, we, we would look at the Padres deadline and go, yeah, that was all right. They did some, they did some minor stuff that they needed to do. Clevenger's is the thing that took them over the top, but again, and that's a deal that's for good for next season too. So. Yeah. Who are you more excited about? Jazz Chisholm getting the call up or Cabrian Hayes? Well, Cabrian Hayes has already played and he looked really good. I mean, the Chisholm one is interesting because I was under the impression that, you know, the Marlins, assuming they can get Isan Diaz opted back in, and it seems like they they can, we're just going to give the second base job to him. Now Chisholm's up, so I imagine he's going to get some of that playing time because they're not, I don't think they're going to move Miguel Rojas off short, even though Chisholm is a shortstop. Um, I think Hayes probably is the, I mean, I, excitement is relative because again, you know, like the, to Brian, he's getting called up is cool, but he's getting called up for a last place team that's going nowhere. And the one positive for him, and I guess for Pirates fans, is that there's no one blocking him at third base. So they can just, you know, he can just, he just gets all the time he wants just to show what he can do. So that's got to be exciting. Is Pedro really Alvarez no longer in the pipeline? Oh, boy, that was a <laughs> long time ago. Uh, he and Tony Sanchez just hanging out together. Um, but I, I mean, it's like it's at least nice for Pirates fans to be given that if they're still paying attention, which dear God, I hope they're not. Um, at least have this one nice thing. Chisholm, I guess the exciting is like the Marlins are actually legitimately interesting. They're a legitimate playoff team. Like their odds are per Fangraphs, I think they're hovering around like twenty five percent, and that's not great, but it's way way better than you would have expected from the Marlins. Obviously, well, I think everyone in the NL East is still in it, which is kind of crazy. It helps when the NL East is such a garbage fire overall. Yeah, yeah the Marlins' playoff odds are now are 40%. They have better playoff odds than the Mets and the Reds and the Rockies. Granted, the Rockies aren't very good. But I, I am interested to see what the Marlins do going forward. I actually am interested because like, they have a legitimately good pitching staff. They have a decent bullpen. They have a lineup, especially now with Marte, that can hit a little bit. Maybe Chisholm gives them a little bit of a bump there. Are they going to win the division? No, I, I don't think there's any real chance. I think it's the, it's the Braves' division to to walk away with, basically, at this point. Um, but are they a realistic chance to make it? I think so. I think they're a better shot to make it than Colorado or probably Cincinnati or definitely the Mets, who are just kind of a tire fire at this point. So, I mean, I, I guess in, in that vein, Chisholm is interesting because he's, he's a young, exciting player on a team that actually has been weirdly exciting. I don't think any of us really saw this coming with the Marlins, and especially the fact that they bought at the deadline for once. Or not necessarily for once, I guess. Well, no, they didn't buy last year. They 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 swapped uh, Zach Allen for actually for Chisholm. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm I'm excited to see what Chisholm can do because I'm actually kind of excited to see what this Marlins team could do now that they've decided. Okay, we're in it. We're gonna we're gonna we're we're going for a playoff spot this year. Okay, let's let's see them do it. Let's see those young guys do it. Yeah. How are you feeling about Jacoby Jones being gone? I have no opinion on Jacoby Jones being hurt other than it, other than that it sucks for Jacoby Jones and I guess also for the Tigers, who are another team that is weirdly in contention. Um, but I don't expect that to – I mean, eight, eight teams are going to make it in the AL. Right now that's 
guaranteed the Rays, the Yankees, the Indians, the White Sox, the Twins, the A's, and the Astros. That is um, seven teams, so you have one spot left, and I definitely think the Blue Jays are a better team than the Tigers, and that's it. Those are the, that's the only real question is, well, I guess, one, who's going to win Who's going to win each division, which actually is a real thing in the Central, which we talked about last time. And two, which of the Blue Jays or the, or the Tigers is going to take that last spot? And I think, you know, if you're if you're a betting man, you, you, you go with the Blue Jays, which is a better team top to bottom. But, hey, the Tigers are interesting. So I guess in that sense, I may not have any answer, necessarily any thoughts on Jacoby Jones getting hurt. But it's certainly bad for Detroit if they actually, you know, thought that this contention thing was real because he was playing well for them. And certainly anytime you have to replace a guy who's playing well with someone who's lesser than him, that's not great. But, yeah, those are my thoughts on Jacoby Jones. Who I, I've always here. loved for the fact that he's I've always loved for the fact that he's got the capital C. Yeah, separating from Jacoby Jones, Ravens legend, Jacoby Jones. Uh, yeah. Who would you guess is the worst run differential in baseball this season? Uh, if it's not the Red Sox, the Giants had a really bad one, but that game last night in Coors probably went a long way to fixing that. Um, I'm going to guess Boston. It is Boston, and it's not even close. Like uh-huh. It's them in Texas. And then there's a huge drop-off after that. Um, yeah, Boston is uh, the worst team in baseball, maybe. Without question. And it's just, I mean, whatever at this point. You know, like, they, they, this was the route they decided to want, they wanted to go. You know, this is, this is what they decided was an appropriate way to spend the season. Who cares at a certain point? Like, I, I for one, have just completely They're melting down on shit. Twitter. Dan Shaughnessy. Yeah, that was, everything, yeah. That was just like... I, I made the point on Twitter, I'll make it again. That was the most embarrassing thing that's happened this season for them, which is really saying a lot. It's one thing if you're going to be bad. It's one thing if you've decided that you're going to be bad on purpose. It's one thing if you've decided this season doesn't matter and to hell with your fans, especially when you trade away your best and most popular player. You know, whatever. We care more about resetting the luxury tax than anything else. Fine. But admitting it publicly and in a jokey way that rubs everyone's face in it, what does it matter with you as a franchise if you're doing that? It's real masked off stuff right there. It's real saying the quiet part out loud. And, like, I mean, that, that is just baseball, though, at this point. That is, just, that is just how this sport is. It's just these teams openly admitting we are not going to spend because we care more about payroll than we do about actual games that are being played. The moment... Honestly, the moment the Cubs and the Astros won after what they'd done, that sealed the fate of baseball and, it, and its short-term future as to being this for, the, for, for who knows how long. And not only that, but the moment that Major League Baseball more or less, at least tacitly, if not openly said or admitted, like, it's okay. We, we don't care. We do not care if you do not want to be competitive for two or three or four seasons. If you want to just run out embarrassing, crappy rosters, on you know, like pennies on the payroll, fine, whatever. We don't care. Major League Baseball has made it abundantly clear that they do not care. You know, and and why would they? Like, what's what is it? What does it matter to them? Everyone's still making money, so what do they care? I mean, you have that Rob Manfred interview with the Athletic, where he says he considers himself more the CEO of baseball than anything else, and that's what the CEO cares about is the bottom line. So what what is for as much as Rob Manfred can say, like, oh, I know, I love, like, I hate when people say I don't love baseball. I love baseball. I care about it so much. Then why is, like, a third of the league just awful on <laughs> purpose? Like, that should not be something that happens in a league if, where the commissioner 
cares about the sport. Like, and that's, and that's the thing with the Red Sox thing that just bothered me so much. Like, just admitting it openly. And not just admitting it, but making a joke about it. Like, yeah, it's really funny that this team that two years ago destroyed the rest of the league en route to one of the most dominant World Series wins anyone alive has seen. That looked like it had a core that was set up to contend for the next half decade at least. Within two years, has become worse than the Orioles. And you're going to make jokes about it? You're going to be like, ha-ha, isn't this great that John Henry saved money? No, motherfucker, it's not great. I don't care. I don't care how much money John Henry has to spend. I care about the wins and losses of my favorite team. And you're here telling me, no, man, that actually doesn't matter. What matters is resetting the luxury tax so that we can not go over it again. Because that's the thing. It's not as if it's resetting for the one time so that next, so that this coming winter they're going to go bananas in the free agent market for cheap, like James Paxton. That's not going to happen. They're just going to sit on their money again. And they're going to claim it's, well, because there were no fans in the stands and everyone took a big revenue hit and we only played 60, blah, 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 whatever. It's just... <sighs> you're just flaunting the fact that the only thing that matters in this game right now to a solid half of the league, if not all of it, is how much money you can save in the process. And that's just gross as hell. And I, I appreciate that there were so many people who were also upset by that tweet because it just... You know, it's the relief of knowing that, like, fans, I think fans more and more are starting to feel like this is bullshit. This is bullshit that we have to sit through this. This is bullshit that you guys are asking us to care more about John Henry's finances than wins and losses, which is all all fans should care about. I don't I I hope that this becomes that this becomes this is I'm not saying this is like a turning point. This isn't something we're going to open a history book in 25 years and be like, the Red Sox reset tweet marked a turning point. Like, no, that's not going to happen. But I am at least to a certain degree hopeful that more and more people are going to start to realize that major league teams, major league owners are conning you. They are grifting you. They are taking your money because that it is your money. The, the like, obviously some of that money is just, you know, is just theirs in perpetuity, but your money, the money you spend on season tickets, on hot dogs, on beer, on jerseys, on all the other stuff. They are taking that money, putting it in a bank account, and never touching it. It is not going to your to sign new players. It is not going to international signings. It's not going to any of that stuff. It is just sitting there. And then they're going to turn around and tell you to your face that the most important thing is that they have this money and they're going to save more of it. And in exchange, you're going to get a team that's going to lose by eight runs every single night with the worst pitching staff that has literally ever been assembled, with the possible exception of this year's Tigers team, which also is a really bad pitching staff. And you're just supposed to be okay with that. But that, that is your lot as the fan, is some years will be good and some years will be bad. And I think that's the thing. Every fan like accepts that, that there'll be good years and bad years. That's just how it always has been. Even if your team tried, sometimes it would just be bad. I remember plenty of Red Sox teams in my youth that tried and still ended up bad. That just happens sometimes because you make bad decisions or because things go wrong or whatever else. But this this whole this whole philosophy, not even philosophy, this whole like new world of we're just going to be bad on purpose and go to hell basically. That 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 I have to feel like there is there has to be some point at which people say enough. And I thought it would be with the Orioles. I thought it would be with the absolute blatant awful way that they went about it or the Marlins and just how embarrassing <laughs> it was for them to do what they did. 
I thought that would be enough. But I, 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 the other thing is I know with those teams is like they did that to fan bases who have never known anything but crappiness. Like you talk to if you talk to Orioles fans about what they did about the teardown, a lot of them will say it sucks. Like it sucked to watch those teams. It has sucked to watch these teams. It sucks to have teams where you just don't recognize your players and they're all bad. But then they'll say, but what else were they going to do? Like the previous, the previous regime under Dan Duquette screwed everything up so badly that it's like, what else, what was the other option? Even if they spent and bought every major free agent on, on the market, they still would have been like a 78 win team probably. You know, at a certain point, like I don't necessarily agree with it, but at a certain point you can point to, to the teardown they did and be like, what else were we going to do? And especially for a fan base that's really known nothing but losing except for a brief period, of, like, since the mid-90s, except for a brief period like six years ago, they can probably swallow that a lot easier than a fans of a team that won a World Series two years ago with a dominant core. Not, and this wasn't like, this wasn't the 2013 Red Sox, which is a bunch of rando guys, you know, out, like rando veteran free agents outperformed their projections and just randomly won World Series. That's not this. That team was young. You know, Devers, Betts, Bogarts, Benintendi, like relatively young Chris Sale, like Eddie Rodriguez, you know, the pieces were there to last for a while and they blew it up. And there's no good reason for them to have blown it up. It was just, it wasn't like you were looking at, Hey, all these guys are going to be gone in a year or two. We need to do something. This was just, no, we just don't want to keep paying for this because now we have a bad farm system because, well, that's the legacy of a Dave Dombrowski team. And we have a lot of money that's owed to these guys, and we don't basically don't know what to do other than blow it up because we don't want to spend the money. Because that's what it amounts to. They just John Henry just didn't want to spend the money necessary to keep that team together. Because a, a, a fair contract for Mookie Betts would have started at three hundred million dollars, and to that you add an extension for Xander Bogarts and an extension for Chris Sale, and if they had re-signed Craig Kimbrell, a new deal for Craig Kimbrell, and on and on and on and on, and the deal for JD Martinez, and I get it. That'll cost a lot of money, but John Henry has a lot of money, and this is the rich, one of the richest franchises in baseball. The Red Sox print money. This isn't the Pirates. You know, not even the Pirates. Pirates of a billionaire owner. This isn't the Rays. You get what I'm saying. This isn't a team that has that you can make an argument for, hey, they're not super rich. Like, they're not the Yankees. The Red Sox are basically the Yankees. They, don't, they should never, ever have to worry about where is the money going to come from. It's always going to be there. Like that to me is like what the Red Sox have done is just it, it, it's it's beyond what the Orioles did. It's beyond what the Marlins did. It is so blatantly, blatantly anti-competitive, so thoroughly against what this whole stupid sport is supposed to be, and so plainly about saving John Henry money. This was him looking at how much it cost to win a World Series, how much it was going to cost to continue to be contending for a World Series, and going, nah, that's too much money. And then looking at the Rays, especially I feel like this is what happened when they hired Bloom, is they, you know, that Red Sox team finished third, the Rays finished ahead of them, and that's John Henry looking at the Rays and going, how the hell did they do that with a fourth of our payroll? And deciding that's going to be how we do it going forward. Because why am I paying $220 million for a third-place team or whatever it was when the Rays paid 60 or $70 million for a second-place team? All right, let me go get the guy who did that and tell him, your job now is to do exactly what you did in Tampa, but from a worse starting point. 
oh, and you're going to have to get rid of everybody because I don't want to pay money anymore. That's, I, I don't know that I, there's no defense for it. And for the Red Sox to come out and try to just be jokey and cute about it is just like, go to hell, man. Like people like, not to like, not to be like, Oh, this, you know, it's like, this is, this is such an important thing in a world on fire, but it's like, there's literally a pandemic. Like unemployment in this country is like 30%. People are struggling to make rent. They don't know if they're going to be able to make their rent next month. And you're out here telling them the most important thing for their favorite team, the one like salve that they get amid this crap year is that John Henry doesn't have to pay as much money next year. Come on, man. That it's it, it's so tone deaf that it it's like I don't understand how that how that Red Sox social media person didn't get fired like immediately for it. Like, it's insulting. It is an insult to your fans to do that. And, like, it's already an insult to tear down your team. But to just be so blatant about it, especially when you are the Red Sox, not when you're this small market or bad team, like the like a team that's been bad forever. Yeah. I know I've been ranting about this now for, like, 10 minutes uninterrupted. But like, no, this is good. It's, it's just so frustrating to me that this is what counts as, like, functional baseball nowadays. And especially that you have a commissioner in Rob Manfred who looks at this and goes, nah, that's fine. I don't care. I genuinely get the sense he doesn't care. But all he cares about is that the product on the field, like he care, I think he cares more about TV ratings than he cares about actual wins and losses. I think that's what's most important to him. TV ratings, um, you know, whatever metrics they use for, for stuff like, you know, video views or, or whatever, like dollars. He cares about dollars. Not wins and losses, dollars. Because ultimately, and that's how you get to a place where he refers to the commissioner's trophy as just a piece of metal. He doesn't fucking care who wins it at the end of the year. It matters to him absolutely zero who wins that trophy. He doesn't give a shit who he's giving it to. It, 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 inevitably, he will give it to someone at the end of the year. And that's all he cares about. Here you go. Enjoy your trophy. I don't really care. All he cares about is, did this World Series do good ratings? Is the league still profitable? Like, is the sport in a place where it is evolving in a way that people still want to watch it. Because that's where all this stuff comes from. Shortening the game, um, pace of play stuff, you know, like all of this stuff is, I mean, obviously like stuff like contracting the minor leagues and shortening the draft is about money, but it's like all the pace of play stuff is about how do we make this game faster so that more people will watch it or keep watching it. That's what he cares about. And that's how you end up in a league where teams like the Red Sox are just like, yeah, we don't really feel like contending, like trying for the next two or three years or spending money. Is that okay? Yeah, sure, that's fine. Who cares? Like, the, mo- the money's already there anyway. Attendance has such a, such a minimal impact at this point on revenues for these teams, or at least gate, you know, gate revenues don't really matter so much. What does it matter? It's, a dollars and, it's always been a dollars and cents league, but under Manfred, it's an extremely a dollars and cents league. Because he doesn't care. He fundamentally does not care, I don't think, about competitiveness. That's not his background anyway. The dude's a lawyer. He's a labor lawyer. He cares about one side having power and leverage. He cares most about the union stuff and about the collective bargaining agreement and about these labor negotiations because that's where he, that's number one, that's his skill set and his specialty. And two, that's where he can extract the most value is making sure players get paid less. It, it, what, what point am I even on at this rate? Like, I, I just, it's just, this is the frustrating place that Major League Baseball finds itself in. There's so much, there, there's so many great players and there's so many good teams and there's so much like quality you can watch night in and night out, but that the people in charge fundamentally do not care. They are going to kill their own golden goose because they do not care. 
they they don't understand that this league is a money maker and a viable thing only insofar as people care about the players and the teams involved. You are never, ever, ever going to get fans to care about a league where the most important thing is payroll management. It's never going to happen. You're going to lose fans this way. You're going to lose players this way. You're going to lose everyone this way. But they don't care because all they can see right now are the dollars that are floating in at the moment and just the belief that, hey, if we make it so that we have more and more power and players have less and less, the money will never stop. You know? So it, it's frustrating. And that Red Sox suite really was just like an embodiment of all of the major issues that this sport has under the surface. You know? That on the outside, everything looks great because there's a lot of fun players in this league and there are a lot of great teams. And I'm sure the playoffs when we get there, if we get there, are going to be really fun. But man, is baseball in a weird and bad place right now when it comes to like the actual functioning of the sport. Because there are way too many people in charge, way too many owners who just fundamentally don't care. I like it. John Taylor, going out with a bang. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta leave him. You gotta go out with your best stuff. It's like it's like a fireworks show. You gotta, you gotta save the big stuff for the end. All right. Well, John Taylor, we'll be back next week. Um, hopefully, with uh, some more stuff, more uh, more interesting things happening in baseball, like the Orioles going on a run. Maybe they uh, go six and zero this week, and uh, we can talk. Hey, about you, know. it. you never know. Um, or Tommy Malone Weird. is the the uh, the ace the Braves have been waiting for. And uh, shout out to Fisher. Yeah, he's he's hype. He's hype too. John, thank you so much. Talk to you soon. My pleasure, man. Hi, this is Chuck Dowdle of Bulldogs Roundtable, and I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Be sure to check out Chase's website at chasethomaspodcast.com and follow the Stone Mountain Native on Twitter and Facebook and listen to my show, Bulldog Roundtable, every Tuesday and Thursday from 9 to 9.30 on 680 The Fan. Have a great Bulldog Day, everybody. back on the chase Thomas podcast i'm now joined by evan sowards way way over there in los angeles california where he is already revving up the crazy evening right Did you see that nba game he's doing that uh, zoom water cooler conversation he's already gearing up with that first cup of joe evan, good morning how are you i have no idea what you just said but i'm here for it <laughs> not a single clue what is the uh, worst thing that you say when you like pre-COVID? What was like the most where you immediately hated yourself when you started the conversation with a coworker? Where you're like, "What is that? What did I just do?" Well, so the, for good or for bad, the truth is is that I don't change my personality. Period. Um, whether I'm at work or friends or anything, I just kind of am who I am. Mm. Um, you know, obviously I need a lot less swearing and, you know, not, not some of the, some of the guy jokes or anything like that, but like yeah. at work, I really am just kind of the same person. So I don't, you won't, you won't catch me saying like, uh, Hey guys, you want to, let's make sure we get aligned, uh, for this call later on, you know, like, or anything like that. Um, did you catch that game of Thrones I, last night? Yeah, but you know, I I uh, I definitely work with those people. You yeah. know what I'm saying? What do you hey, What do you how do? Was, how was your weekend? Huh? Did, 
Not enough time, right? Wish it was longer. <laughs> Ugh, me too. Oh my gosh. Did you watch The Bachelor? No. No, I didn't. I didn't watch The Bachelor. I'm not going to watch The Bachelor. I'm sorry. Can I go off about the people who complain about the weekend not being too or not being longer? I mean, you can complain about whoever you want. I don't know if you do you know what the name of the podcast is? Oh, that's right. It is my podcast. I can do whatever yes, the fuck I want. Uh Literally. Those people are sad. I think it's embarrassing to be an adult and to long for doing nothing and hating your work week so much that where you spend the most amount of your time, the most amount of time in your life will be at your main job. That is where you spend more time with them, with your family, than with your kids, than with whoever watching your favorite sports team. You are spending more time at work. If you are living for the weekend and you are someone who complains that the weekend just doesn't go long enough, you are making your own bad choices. If you are not as excited about Wednesday as you are Sunday, that is on you. And I should not have to feel bad because you made bad choices. I love my work week. I love the fact that I do my podcast. I, I love weekends too. Guess what? I like them all equally. Life is too short. And when you wish away five days a week for two... That's pathetic and sad and embarrassing and you need to get your shit together. Not that you like have an emotional opinion or any like really like serious thoughts about it or anything. You're just kind of saying, just throwing it out there. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, like I've worked at jobs where I've hated the job or I've not enjoyed the company or anything like that. But like I, I've always been able to find ways to enjoy the moments, yeah. you know, so like you know, I've always, I worked in retail for a long time and I would just, you know, I would enjoy talking to people, right? Like the job sucks, but I would talk to people, um, you know, and I've, you know, worked at jobs where I've, you know, bust my ass, but it's like, you got to appreciate the work and stuff like that. So I think as with most things in life, it's all about perception and kind of how you, how you think about it. If you're someone who's like, uh, wish 2021 end, go fuck yourself. What are you <laughs> well, talking about? Well, I, I don't wish 2020 would end, but a fucking break would be nice. And yeah, Chadwick I mean, sure. Boseman just died. Jeez. I, I, look, you know, I get that. But the idea that you want to just fast forward like six months of your life, you're not getting those six months back. Make the most of what you have right now. That Six months isn't guaranteed. You get hit by a bus tomorrow. What are you doing? What did these people who wish away time in the, especially time in your 20s, time in your like 30s when you're younger and you're vibrant and you're healthy and you're like, I understand 2020 is been mostly a shitty year make the most of it fast forwarding your life is insanity well i mean it's what you do though right when you're when you're a teenager you want to be an adult when you're when you become in your early 20s you know you want to finish school and get a job and then when you get a job you want to go back or you want a better job you know it's like it's 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 all about complacency it's like how much how happy are you in the moment that you're in and and, you know, there's, it's a good balance between wanting to strive for more and, and uh, appreciating where you're at. Which brings us to the Houston Texans. <laughs> right. That is a good damn transition. <laughs> uh, that's why my name's on the, on the podcast title. Yep. Evan. There we go. We're going to disagree here. Go. If Deshaun Watson plays 16 games this year, the Texans are winning the division. Like there's the people who love the Titans and love their offseason and maybe they end up with Jadavia and Clowney. We'll see. 
only got a couple more days before the season starts, so they probably need to wrap that up if that's uh, what's going to happen. I don't know what his in-game is here. It seems like he's going to miss the first couple weeks of the season because I don't think he's going to get signed. Um, a lot of people are talking themselves into the Colts, but then you have Philip Rivers over there like, Jacob Eason can just throw the ball where I can't. They don't have the arm strike anymore. All right, cool. Sure. If you want to talk yourself into Philip Rivers and the Colts, great. You want to talk yourself into the Jaguars? Okay, let's be real. We'll get to the Jaguars. The Texans made a lot of dumb trades. Bill O'Brien has only once had a positive offensive DVOA in like his six years as a head coach, which is kind of wild. They beat their Pythagorean record um, last season, winning 10 games. Uh, it was, I think, 2.2 more than what Pythagorean had him as. Um, they were 9-3 and three in one-score games, which scares me a lot if I'm a Texans fan, where you're like, ooh, did they just get lucky? But also, is it just that, you know, Deshaun Watson has some Russell Wilson in him, where it's just that's something he's going to be good at, and, like, this defense is going to put them in a bind. But when J.J. Watt is healthy, when Whitney Merciless is healthy, when their guys are healthy and have a good pass rush, they're good. The defense is not going to be elite. They don't have enough pieces. They don't have the Jonathan Josephs of the world. Justin Reed's good. Um, I like a lot of their pieces on offense. I think the David Johnson trade was one of the all-time worst trades. But guess what? They still have a bunch of dudes. And Deshaun Watson is not someone like a Kirk Cousins who needs Stephon Diggs. Where I'm, like, I'm nervous about what happens when you lose your best receiver for the average quarterback. Deshaun Watson's not average. He's top 10. He's He's fine with whoever. Brandon Cooks, even if he's not healthy, you still have Kenny Stills, who they traded for. I like Kiki who, if he can stay healthy, like him. Randall Cobb, solid. Will Fuller, good deep threat. And then you have David Johnson and Duke Johnson out of the backfield. I like that. Darren Fells, I, I'm okay with. The offensive line is what scares me. I mean, the Larry Tunsil, he's, he's solid. I think that's good. Zach Fulton was a disaster last year at right guard. Got a lot of snaps, not good. Titus Howard, not great on the right side. So you have some issues there. I still don't see how the Houston Texans, even if their offensive DBA is like 0.7 and they're like 12th in football, they don't win the division. I think this is a team that is still making dumb trades for the future, but is still set up to run away with this division over the, at least the next two to three years. I, I do disagree. I really I, I do. That. I really do. I really do. I, so here's the reality. Who's the best GM in in that division? That's tough. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Really, it's Chris Ballard. I John Robinson just built a team that almost went to the Super Bowl. No, it's it's Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard is 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 honestly one of the best GMs in the NFL right now. He's wildly underrated. I think you're that's pretty. I think you're going a little too hard at John Robinson here. We, he deserves a little bit more credit. They have a better one roster. Of the best. He's one been of, better. So. Here's what the Colts just did this mm-hmm. year. You you just talked about the Texans. Here's what the Colts did. The Colts, let's talk about the things that are fancy, flashy, right? They just got probably the most exciting running back in the draft. Would you agree? Uh, no. Jonathan J- Taylor, I would not say, is the most exciting running back in the draft. Okay. One of, easily. No, Monty definitely. Ball and Ron Dane, great. Love me some Wisconsin running backs in the NFL. They've all panned out. I'm... Jonathan Taylor is not either of those two. That's what they all say about every Wisconsin running back. (laughs) And he absolutely does fit what the Colts are trying to accomplish. Marlon Mack is already good. Michael Pittman. You know, obviously Mm -hmm. rookie receivers don't always kind of make make a difference. But, hey, USC receivers, 
have really been making some moves the last couple of years. These are, once again, these are not de- massive changes, deal breakers, anything like that, right? Uh, obviously, you know, bringing in that tight end, Trey Burton, he's kind of one of those guys that was always like, you're going to get really excited at the tight end position of what he could do, and then he never would really fill it out, got injured, you know, didn't really find himself uh, with the Bears, but it's definitely a good addition. Uh, Xavier Rhodes, really weird guy, right? At sometimes one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL, then struggled. Now he's obviously going to be there. Sheldon Day, if you don't know, I'm pretty familiar with Sheldon Day, a very underrated defensive tackle that played for the 49ers after he left the Jaguars. Uh, Sheldon Day is a workhorse. He is by all means not going to be the best player on the defense, but he's absolutely a guy that just makes the defense better, even if it's a little bit. Um, Right. Those are all pretty important. You know, those are really kind of like things that you can look at and be like, OK, I'm, I'm happy about that. Now, here's the big one. DeForest Buckner, a top three defensive tackle in the NFL. He's an absolute monster. He is the penultimate example of top tier, never let you down defensive play. He's one of the best. And it took a guy like Aaron Donald, who is to me, I still can't I, – I, I still don't believe that he's an actual human being. I, I just don't. But he, he's a monster, right? The, DeForest Buckner is – I mean, I've been watching him since Oregon. He is so much better than anyone will ever actually acknowledge because he's not like – you know, he's not Aaron Donald where every single muscle has seven additional muscles on that muscle, right? But he's just that damn good. That's a huge – huge move for him so you look at a team that couldn't figure out what they were doing at quarterback and i honestly don't know if they still can right we don't know what philip rivers is i think that philip rivers is going to have uh a boost this year of not being a charger for the first time in his life i don't know if it'll be enough to make him the old philip rivers uh but i definitely see as him being kind of a you know i think he can do philip rivers things which is what when in the when in the regular season and what did you ask who's going to win the division what is philip rivers really good at doing winning the division what is he not good at the postseason that's not the conversation we're having so there's a lot of things going on on the colts that i really like the thing that i will say to you is and it's probably your fault is Deshaun Watson is a, obviously the best, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He's one of the most exciting quarterbacks in the NFL. He's God tier quarterbacking. He really is in spite of all the trash that they have going on, but they just lost arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL. And Bill O'Brien is still there and mm-hmm. he is a minus. He is never a plus. I don't care what anyone says. I would so, agree. I think if you put Deshaun Watson on the Colts team right now, they win the Super Bowl maybe the next three years. Uh, well, oh, hold on, hold on. A little, I mean, I think they're the Colts are. A, I think that's a better organization and a better team for him. Yeah, for sure. Better offensive line, absolutely. Getting Quentin Nelson up there for him versus. Uh, the Do you know what it's like? Do you know what it's like to have Quentin Nelson on one side and DeForest Buckner on the other? I mean, th- I mean, seriously, nice. think about. That. It's almost like having Trent Williams and Nick Bosa, but that's neither here nor there. Um, mm. 
So what I'm saying is absolutely Deshaun Watson is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and he will win so many more games than the Texans deserve to win this season. Agreed. But when you talk about winning the division, Phillip Rivers is pretty damn good at winning games that don't matter. And I think that's what the Colts are going to be very capable of doing this year. I I can't talk myself into them. But also... Well, I'll make it easy for you. You can't talk, talk yourself into them, but can you say that anything I just said was wrong? I think you're talking up a little bit too much about their offseason and what they have. I think the Colts... Um, I think we're downplaying a little bit too much about what Phillip Rivers is at this point. I think there needs to be more conversations around like why we just expect things to be better he was not good last year there's a very real possibility he's just cooked like the idea that he is just gonna figure it out for one final season i don't know these are just that's a huge huge what if and i don't want to bet on a huge huge what if i also still don't love their options like ty hill like ty hilton is good he's still fine getting banged up lately but that receiver room is still trash like they don't have a lot of options like michael Pittman, if he can stay healthy like Pittman's a dog he'll be good Paris Campbell's fine, but like outside of that, not a yeah, lot he's of fine. intrigue. Fine, I'll agree. Trey Burton, not counting on him. Jack Doyle, he seems like always a year away. I Ryan Kelly solid. Nelson, Costanzo, like that's good. The best thing about them is their offensive and defensive line, like you said. Like I think the DeForest Buckner thing is like the best thing that they've done lately. I still don't like that defense. I still don't really like that secondary. I'm still not a believer in Lee Cooker staying healthy and being good. Like, Darius Leonard is obviously great, and that was a great addition. Um, but they're still betting on guys like Justin Houston being able to step up and develop a pass rush. Like, they're, the Colts are not ready yet. I think they're still, like, two or three years away from really breaking through um, in this division. I think this is still a team. Maybe they get a wild card spot. But I still think the the top two teams in this division are the Texans and the Titans. And I think the Titans have done a better job building their team for now. Like, their offensive line is just as solid. Jeffrey Simmons was a good pick. Um, Harold Landry is great on the outside. You have Jeffrey guys. Simmons I mean, is a beast. they messed up with Vic Beasley, which I could have talked to them. Like, they should have called me. Been like, hey, what about this Vic Beasley guy? I could have been like, hey, uh, stay the fuck away. You could have called anyone, any one Falcons fan. Yeah. You could have – a guy that didn't even – wasn't a Falcons fan but lives in Atlanta and watched one game in at Applebee's. <laughs> hey, hold on. That's where people go when they want to know their name. Um, shout out to that. What a pivot for Applebee's, the the neighborhood bar. Um, I just think they're solid. I think Adoree Jackson's really good. Um, I, I think – they're just a really well-built team and like they built their offensive line and they're just running people over their offensive line is just great taylor lewin you have saffold you have ben jones you have nate davis you have isaiah wilson now in the fold that uh, that offensive Johnny line smith gets injured though john and john U. smith is definitely good john U. smith is what trey burden wants to be Corey davis miss but guess what Corey they davis on is a AJ miss. brown aj brown i don't is think Corey davis is a Corey Davis is not a Tennessee Titans uh, football player by the end of the season. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, Adam Humphreys will still see, but I don't know. I think I'm still a lot higher on um, the Tennessee Titans than I am the Colts. I, I don't think the Colts have too many questions. I don't like their skill position talent, and I still think they're just set up to be like 7-9, and 8-8 and eight and eight in the Titans Unless Ryan Tannehill regresses back to what Ryan Tannehill was and he's not a play-action monster like he was last year, then 
maybe, but it's still, as the, long the hierarchy as... in the AFC South is still Titans, Texans, 1A, and then the Colts I somewhere just... in the middle, and then the Jaguars just way, way down there. You don't even falter with the Texans. You don't even... No. Like, they lost the best receiver in the NFL right. with whom Deshaun Watson has how many touchdowns with? And you He's going to lead the league in passing yards this year. It doesn't even matter. Think, you think that, like, I just, I think you see, like, you have Deshaun Watson blinders. I think you are so in love with him that it's making you forget how poorly run the, the Texans organization as a whole is run and how not good their receiving options are. They have the best Nuke. receiving core in the division. Oh, I mean, first off, not it's saying not a close. lot. Okay. Not saying a lot. AJ I'm Brown, not disagreeing, but it's not even close. AJ Brown gives AJ Brown gives you a, a plenty enough for that. Uh, but I mean, Will Fuller needs to play 16 games. First off, well, if he doesn't, you get a, a little bit of Kiki in there. You get some Kenny Stills, who's just another great downfield threat. Like, they are going to be Kenny throwing Kenny Stills that also needs to play 16 games. Dude, they are going to be doing this four vertical shit all season long. They're going to split out Duke Johnson to go long. Like, they are going deep over and over. They're just going to be throwing bombs with Stills and Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks. All they're doing is taking teams over the top. They're letting Deshaun Watson unload the clip. Tell me something. What did the Steelers' wide receivers look like? What did that receiving core look like? What did that that you know what is what did that production look like when AJ Brown left? Juju is amazing. Juju Juju is one of the best receivers in the NFL. What did their production look like without AJ Brown? I mean, Juju is great. They're fine. The reason that. They Juju fell regressed. off not because of Anthony or because of Antonio Brown. They fell off because Ben Roethlisberger is not the same quarterback. I mean, I'm my point is is that there's a big shift for your team when you live lose a good receiver. You saw what happened last year with the 49ers when they just got Emmanuel Sanders, who's a pretty good receiver. The Texans are losing the best receiver in the NFL. Like that matters. And yes, the Titans are damn good, and they have a very solid, like, you know, that blue collar, like, we're going to win by playing boring football until A.J. Brown does something crazy. But, like, bro, the Texans aren't going to be good this year. I just don't think you get it. I, you're not going to you're not gonna make me budge off this. I will be very, very happy. To, to, to look back on this at the end of the season. I cannot wait to just, you just, I, I can't wait until the Texans are like five and one and Deshaun's averaging 420 yards passing a game. Five and, and like, one. Yeah. That's insane. No, it's not. Deshaun Watson's literally never won single digit games in his career, ever. It's not getting easier for him, that's for sure. His team's not getting better. It's getting worse. I'm not disagreeing with that, but the, the Roosters, what's the expression? The Roosters are not coming home what is it roosters and chickens what is that i don't know I don't dude know. i grew up in a city i don't know <laughs> i don't know what the the chickens coming home chickens coming to home roost to i don't know the Ch- roost? roosters coming chickens. home to roost is that it no chickens i don't know i don't know man honestly i don't know i, I don't even well, know what you're you, saying. you understand what i'm saying which is that's not happening yet like we're not there it will come but it's not coming yet that's the thing though you're not there 
we are a lot of people Those are, are called wrong people yeah i'm just I'm, once again this is something we're gonna have to look back on and aggressively talk about when that time comes but you know it's hard too because who knows how long this season lasts maybe it will yeah. maybe you want things are looking good but like it's gonna be tough here's what no scares offs. me not a great open to their season they're not starting five and one. Just going to go ahead and cancel that one. I was, I was, I'm looking at their schedule, wondering where the hell you were going with that. The back end of their schedule is very good. The front end is not good. Um, at why don't you say the schedule out loud? At KC, so that's a loss. Zero and one. Ravens at home. Loss. That's a loss. Zero and two. At Pittsburgh, I'm going to say a win. One and two. That's Vikings at home. Win. Two and two. Jags at home. Win. Three and two. At Tennessee that's a loss okay loss three and three packers at home that's probably a loss i don't know i think the packers i think you're gonna see a psychotic aaron Rodgers here this year um mm. i do he's he's mad and he's playing for his next team and he's very aware of that the san francisco 49ers um three, and that's a loss three and four that's oh a, no no i was saying that's who he's playing for um yeah. three and four Jaguars in the road, four and four at Cleveland. Win five and four. Pats at home. So I'm saying you're looking at five 50, and five. 50-50 by the by the halfway through the at season. Detroit six and five. Colts at home seven and five. At Chicago eight and five. At Indy nine and five. Bengals at home ten and five. Did you just say? Did you just give them losing to the or beating the Colts both times? Yeah, Colts are not going to be able to score enough to hang with them. No. Holy youth. Mm, okay. So okay. I'm looking at 11 and five right now. That's. I'll bet money that doesn't happen. Realistic, I, I think they go 10 and six and win the division again. I say nine games probably, and uh, we'll, we'll bet we'll bet shotgunning white claws. Okay. COVID so, permitting, maybe I'll be in. I have family. In I'm LA. I'm saying nine and nine. Mm-hmm. I'm saying nine and seven. You're saying what? Eleven and ten and six. I'll stay ten, 10 and six. <laughs> Okay, so for each game off that we were wrong, we shotgun a white claw. Okay. I'll even give you, you have to do a double, though, if they win the division. Oh, of course. Yeah. 100%. Do we want to talk about the Jaguars? I was going to just say, do we even need to? Other than just the fact that they're literally going to be the worst team in the NFL? Is there any chance that they do the Dolphins thing from last year where we all just pencil them in as the worst team and then they're like the fifth worst team? No. Okay. I don't think so either. I think there's a lot of differences here. And I also, Doug Marone is not uh, Brian Flores. And Jay Gruden is coaching this offense. And you know what's weird, though? When people talk about this team, one thing I will say, it's not like they have, the way they're talking about the loss of talent, I'm like, have y'all looked at other rosters? Like, the Jags, I understand. The quarterback position is where people focus on. And they focus on the running back. They got literally nothing there. They got Chris Thompson, who was good four years ago out of the backfield in Washington. Um, they have nobody back there. Mike Glennon is right now penciled in as the backup quarterback to Gardner Minshew. However, I like the LaVishka Chenault pick. He's a he's a little wrecking ball. I the receivers like, are going to be good. The receivers are going to be good. DJ Chark is a dude. Yep, of course. Chris Conley's solid. D.D. Westbrook still has breakout solid. potential. Keelan Josh Cole, Allen enough. was a monster last year. Miles Jack is still on this roster. For now. They might trade him. Kalebon Chase on. Good pick. 
can never go wrong with LSU guys. Nope. CJ Henderson was arguably the best cover corner in the draft. Like, they are still stockpiling. CJ Henderson's going to be a beast. Yeah. Like, when we talk about that, I'm like, y'all understand, like, it's not like there's no talent here. They have some really top end talent here. Well, I will also say the worst teams in the NFL this year are not going to be, in my opinion, the as bad as a lot of the worst teams were the last few years. Yeah, and they might be though because of COVID. I'll give that. You know, just in general, like there's a lot of variables, not as much training camp, no preseason games, whatever. But I don't think the floor is nearly as low as it has been recently. I just look at teams like the Panthers, where I'm like, are you sure that the Jags have a worse roster than the Panthers right now? Are we sure? I mean, I think so. Yeah. Are we I mean, sure? Yeah. The Bengals. You, well, you have to, first off, some of the most exciting things on the Jaguars right now are their are their rookie picks. Are we sure the Lions have a better roster, top to bottom? I just still don't even know what the hell is going to happen with the Lions. I really don't. Washington. I think has a worse roster, and it's not even close, really, than the Jags right now. I would take. I mean, the Washington's defensive line is disgusting. Yeah, they only drafted Alabama players for like four years in a row. It was bound to pay off at some point. It's like the 49ers picks, but they're all from Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> Although they did lose my boy Jim Tom Sula, so that'll be a mess. Where is he? Where'd he go? Dallas, that bastard. Is he in Dallas? Yeah, he's in Dallas with Alden Smith. Mm. I hope that works out. That'd be a good story, right? I would. I do hope it works out because it does seem like he was a troubled kid. Yeah, I mean the Jaguars are trash. Gardner Minshew's cool as hell, but I don't think he's even a top twenty-five quarterback. Yeah, really, he's he's exciting. You know, Gardner Minshew is a cooler version of Baker with less talent. Oh, I like this. Yeah, I could I could see that. Better for commercials, worse for the football field. Accurate, undersized, a gamer. Likes to wear headbands. Likes to wear headbands. Um, I don't know if if Baker's ever worn a mustache. Has he? Do we? Do we have any? Yeah, Baker's definitely had a stash. Oh, okay, well, hundred percent. I take it back. So, your final predictions on how this division goes. You know how I have it. I think. 10 and 6 Texans, I think 8 and 8 Titans, 7 and 9 Colts, and then 3, 2 and 14 Jaguars. Yeah. I don't know if I can be as accurate in picking the wins because I think there's so many variables in terms of like what happens with Phillip Rivers. But I think the number one team in the division is probably looking at 10 wins, maybe 11 wins. And I think the Titans or the Colts can do that. If the Colts get an even worse version of Phillip Rivers than we've seen, if he doesn't bounce back, yeah, I mean, dude, they could end up maybe winning seven games. It could get ugly. You might see that quarterback come in. Um, but in general, the Jaguars don't win more than five games. And then the Texans, man, like nine games is a stretch for me. I would not be surprised if they won seven or eight games. Well, Bill O'Brien's getting fired if that's the case. Dude, Bill O'Brien should have been fired three years ago. Yeah. He's only – Bill O'Brien is like – he's like – it's like – sorry to be – he's like Goku. Like the more he gets his ass kicked, the stronger he gets. He pl- he's he been a bad coach and now he's a GM. And he's been a bad GM and he's like getting to be more of a GM. Like he, he he's does not – he's the Benjamin Button of shitty court coaching. 
failing up. You love to see it. Um, it's the dream, right? Be bad at your job and then get more power somehow. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think it's we'll have to we'll have to see. But I am banking. Remember this, Deshaun. I'm putting a lot of faith in you, as I always do. Deshaun Watson. Man, I, you can't even guarantee that Deshaun Watson will be on the Texan roster by the end of the year. No, he absolutely will. Yes. I mean, don't move like that. Yeah, well, neither do the number one receiver in the NFL, but hey. Receivers are not even close to the same. Not even close. I'm just just saying reality does not exist in the same fashion on the Texans. It does when it's the quarterback. Quarterbacks are just, it's just different. Everything is different when it comes to the quarterback. We'll see. Yeah. Um, You ready for some gym and life advice? I think that's fair. I, I, I'm excited for this because um, you got some shots fired at you. Rich J. Madrid asks, why does Evan not run more? Well, first off, let me just <laughs> say, as a guy who has primarily lifted weights for like the last six years, mm. and I mean, my cardio exists as, in a fashion that would literally be like a 10-minute warm-up and a 30-minute cool-down like on a fucking stairmaster or a row machine or something mm. like I do not push cardio. I never have. I don't even know what that looks like in COVID in quarantine and all this. I've tried to run more. Um, and you know, I'd be run, I'd be running like two miles at a time. I got up to about four miles, but that was like taking, you know, like walking a little bit throughout the process. And one, it's terrible. It's hard Two, shin splints are the worst thing in the world. I got to a point when I was trying to run four miles where I would literally come home, immediately take ibuprofen, and then take a sh- – like just like – just stand in a sh- like a really hot shower for too long. And then I would just come and lay down on my bed and not move. It just <laughs> – running – anyone that you see that runs constantly and at great lengths, they're psychopaths. Mm. They are – they are just they're into pain and they're crazy people thoroughly impressive though so are you out on running altogether i'm not out on running i still have to um you know especially i'm i've gotten grown really comfortable with trying to stay healthy and work out as much as possible so not being able to physically go to the gym in, in California where I'm at right now. I know there's no rules in Tennessee and they don't care about the health or, <laughs> well, or anything on, like hold that. Hold on. Um, there are rules, but yeah. uh, it's a little bit more open, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They play that that, that tune they play uh, is used with a banjo. Um, what the fuck? <laughs> take it easy. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I you know what I'm saying? Like, Running is a thing that I don't think I'll ever get into a position where I it's just my go-to thing that I love. I'm more of, you know, like I said, I love with lifting weights. I love going to the gym and putting my headphones in and, and really like, you know, just not having to aggressively push that high intensity. Like, <laughs> I can't stop until my whole body is covered in sweat. Like, it's just not my shit. Um, you could call it lazy. You could call it uh, lazy. You could even call it lazy whatever you want um but yeah I, I running is a is a tool that i only use when i have to hmm running is like i 
I I go back and forth on it. Like when I'm really feeling good, running is great. When I'm not feeling good or like I'm battling through some like like you said that chin splint, so I usually get like some side pain and stuff. I it's one of the worst things in the world. But that cool down is what it's all about. With that cool down walk once you got those miles in, top notch. But also it's funny that like running in basketball. So like I played last weekend and full court pickup and running way more and it's way more difficult. And like, I don't sweat as much running. Like I could run four miles and don't really sweat. But when I play basketball, I sweat a shit ton and it's just, it's interesting how that works, but running with a purpose versus running just to run and listening to a podcast or whatever, um, I, I don't know about you if you're because I think anybody who can like listen to a podcast or radio while they're running are sociopaths because I, I, I can't focus as I'm running and breathing and everything like I don't know I can't focus on what's being said so I'm always a music person when I'm running but I I think it's interesting that we just we love doing it when it's football when there's a sport involved it takes our mind off the fact that we're running right is that all it is that's all I can come I, up with. Well, I mean, I think it is a mental thing too. So like if running on a treadmill, dude, if I make it a mile without stopping, you know, my my high in- intensity ADHD ass brain, like I, I better get a, a medal and champagne showers at the end of it. I just can't sit in one spot staring at one thing, you know, and running. I live in downtown LA, so when I go on runs out here, I get to run by the Staples Center. I get to run by some homeless people. It's an exciting, you know, situation. It's very exhilarating, right? You want to make sure that you, you know, are actually pushing yourself in in Kobe's uh, kingdom, and then you want to make sure you're actually pushing yourself because you don't want to get stabs. So, like, the outdoor experience is, is a I like a lot when it comes to running. That makes it a lot easier. Uh, on a treadmill, though, dude, absolutely not. Treadmills suck in general. I don't know how people do treadmills. Treadmills are for people that have given up. (laughs) They've given up. If you can just go be on a treadmill for like an hour, they've given up. But I know some people who start their day like in their basement, running on a treadmill in the dark. And I, I I don't understand. They live in Chicago and it's too cold outside. No, they're in Atlanta. I mean, yeah, I don't, I, I couldn't do it. No. Couldn't do it. No. Next question. In fact, oh, yeah, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say like so my, my buddy, well, one of my best friends who literally lives like a block away from me mm. has been in Hawaii for, I don't know, months now staying at his parents' house and he has a rower. So he was like, yo, just, you know, uh, use my rower whenever you need to, if you want to. So I was like, all right, even that, which is much different just that act of just sitting in one place it's just i can't do it man yeah brandon spears little listener out there in atlanta um i've been biking more what's good complimentary exercise to do at home to work other muscles you are the home workout machine right now with COVID. so what what advice do you have for brandon so when you're biking obviously it's all legs right um which is it's a great workout it's a lot of calories you're burning um just stay off the fucking road 
That's all yeah. I ask because there's nothing worse than being behind a, a, a bicyclist as you're trying to get around them in a two-lane road and you can't really see and you don't want to like speed pat like they're just right there just on just close enough on the line where you can't just go around them and not weave into the other lane i i there's a sidewalk right there just get on the sidewalk do you really get less out of the biking by being on the road versus the sidewalk i don't understand this but anyway no i think i think they don't want to walk right on the sidewalk is that all it is hit people i think that's the thing people yeah like sidewalks are for walking not for riding bikes Mm. now granted you live um, and you know, be careful. You've already dropped like four shots today. Well, no, I'm just saying. So like Atlanta's the South, obviously. Right. right? And, uh, Tennessee is ultra South, right? <laughs> even, uh, even though like you're, you're in a college town though. So it's a little bit different. Right. Um, I come from Portland and I live in LA like Portland. There's bike lanes everywhere. Like bike, mm. bicycle, bicyclists have like a better situation when they're, tr- when they're commuting than cars do by far. So like, I, I can't stress it enough. Like, it's so complex. Like the bike lanes and the paths and the stopping before, like at a stoplight, you have to stop back, and all of these crazy things. Why are we so, doing this for them? What do they do to earn all of these special privileges? Because if you're riding a bike, you're not destroying the environment, not using gas. You're destroying my sanity. That's enough. Well, just do what I do and move into the city, so you don't have to. You don't have to drive. True. True. Driving's for suckers. But I love driving. Driving's like one of my favorite things. For su- I, li- I like driving fast. It's for suckers, though. Well, that's because you're driving like a Prius now. No, I mean, I sold, I sold my car. Did you? Yeah, of course. So what are you driving now? Or you literally don't have anything. Yeah, man, I went from a Subaru WRX, which is like a race car, to a BMW that was 300 horsepower twin turbo. So it was like an ultra race car and also really nice. And then I went to the Prius because I just, you know what I'm saying? Like... It got to a point where I was spending so much money on my car and I, you know, maintaining it and paying for parking and all of these things. And it's just like when you live in the city, man, like even in L.A. right now in L.A. where everything is spread out. Think about how much money you pay for a car. If, if you know, if you've got a, a decent car, car payments, 300 bucks a month, something like that. Insurance is 100 bucks. Parking in my city is like 100 at the cheapest so 500 bucks plus gas like how much money are you spending on ubers if you're going to santa monica on the weekend where it's like you know maybe 16 to 22 dollars each way like how many trips are you going on before you reach that 500 600 a month so for me i was just like i mean obviously we're in a pandemic so nothing's open but i was there's just no point there's no need for me to have a car right now will i get one down the road Maybe, but why? Why waste the money? Fair. Did we answer his question? His question, yeah. Alternative workouts. No, yeah. that was a bit of a ramble. So okay. what? What I was saying is, those biking is very good cardio. You could say it's good thigh workouts, leg workouts, things like that, but mostly it's cardio. So when you're at home, you want to do workouts that are going to do everything else than that. And you know, to 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 the point of biking is, biking doesn't really give you much other than that cardio. So it depends on what stuff you have, what equipment. If you have no equipment at all, I mean, push-ups are going to be your best friend. Uh, you know, shout out to Eric Crocker, um, who is a 49ers fan and a writer and has a website and used to be a DB for the Jets. Um, you know, he's, he himself says, you know, do 200 push-ups in the morning. Uh, do 200 sit-ups in the morning. 
you know, I think one of the things that most people don't do that they should do is when you work on your core exercises like sit-ups, planks, uh, you know, all the like, you know, moving your leg back and forth, back and forth, flutter kicks, all the above. Um, core exercises really, really protect every other muscle group in your body. If you have a strong core, your back, your biceps, your every single workout that you do when you're pulling and pushing, your core is strengthening those movements. So you can really, really like almost exclusively every workout for the core can be done at home. So it's a big thing that I think that everyone should do that nobody does enough. And then on top of that, you know, push-ups are like one of the best things that you can do. And if you want to get super into it, right, you can raise your legs a little bit, put it on a table, put it on a chair, um, and do just do push-ups until it hurts. And I swear, I mean, that's chest, triceps, that your core, like there's so much there. Um, so that's your really basic stuff. And then at the end of the day, like if you get a kettlebell or uh, even just dumbbells, you know, doing like shrugs, overhead press, you know, shoulder workouts or even lat pulls uh, for your back, little things like that are it's just there's a bunch of different things. But at the end of the day, I think for what you're not getting in biking, push ups and core exercises is a really good place to start. Okay. Last thing. Life advice. What do you got for us this week, Evan? I mean, I think what we're talking about really is life advice, though. I, I really do. I think especially right now while things are kind of – I mean, we're one week away from football. So thankfully, football's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're going to get that escape and that excitement and that fun and the things that we kind of love that come from football. But – you know, while everyone's working from home or, you know, even those who are working still at their job, but it's, you know, in COVID environments, like stressful situations, um, it's obviously kind of really taxing physically and mentally. And then, you know, obviously there's a bunch of things you have to worry about, you know, some people who are alone or don't get to see their friends as much, things like that. So I think what's most important right now is taking care of your time. I can't stress it enough. You know, I'm a guy, we talked about this before who never worked out. I was, you know, 160 pounds soaking wet at six foot one, um, you know, couldn't run a mile. Like working out does so much for your men- mental health, you know, your confidence, uh, your anxiety, depression. It really does fix those things. The problem is, is the barrier to entry is hard. People that don't know how to work out usually don't want to. They don't want to learn. They feel uncomfortable. They feel awkward trying to figure out what to do and how to do it and things like that. So I think I think right now it's important that people learn how to spend their time at home productively and do things that help your mental health and your physical health. Uh, you know, if it's Eric Crocker's thing where you're doing 200 sit-ups and 200 push-ups every morning, start there. Um, if it's meditation, you know, meditation is hard for me because I'm wild ADHD and just sitting still is tough. But meditation is just a really good thing to do. Uh, I don't think people realize with all the stimulation that we have nowadays how much your brain is always running on high. You know, when you're reading Twitter for sports or you're, uh, you know, reading the news and it's all bad right now and your work and your your friends and your relationships, your brain is constantly revving high. Um, And just being able to do a couple things out of the day, whether it's knitting or reading a book or meditating or working out or something that's not like high intense stimulation 
just giving your body a chance to reset. It's it's I think it's a lot more important than people realize. I like it. Um What about you? My life advice this week is um hmm what is my life advice? Be protective of your time. It's okay to be protective of your time and to um not get sucked in because there are conversations that you don't want to get sucked in it goes back to what i said at the beginning I'm like life is short and if you have stuff to do but there are social norms where you're like no I, I do i need to do this 10 minute conversation with this person do i really need to do that or can i go back to what i was doing be it's okay to be very protective of your time and this is something i'm thinking about a lot of just like not trying to annoy people because i'm new to this area and i get caught in conversations where like i have to go do a podcast or i have to go write or i have to go watch this thing or i gotta go watch the lakers or whatever and it's it it comes off as off-putting i think if i'm just like never trying to connect or anything like that but like my life has spent around my job school and podcasts and all this other stuff so like i am I'm already pulled in a lot of different directions and it's easy for that to become overwhelming if you uh let a lot of people in and like just give them the time of day and unfortunately you don't have that amount of time to do that if you want to do all the main things that you actually want to do so i am trying to get more comfortable in a new city in a new area with not pissing people off by being standoffish but also being like hey i just have a lot on my plate and that's not going to change and uh there those things are my priority but good I luck mean, yeah in your future endeavors yeah, yeah but that, i mean i think that's the problem with growing up especially with like our social norms and things like that like a lot of the things that you think matter don't you know i remember a lot of my life choices when my like late teens and early 20s was you know i didn't want to i didn't want to do anything that took me away from my group of friends right at the time that I had known from high school. So like I stayed in the city or I stayed in the suburbs and I didn't want to go to the city and I didn't want to do this and I didn't want to do that because I was like, I want to be around my friends. They give me happiness, excitement. You know, they make, you know, they make me feel wanted, yada, yada, yada. A lot of those kids I don't even talk to anymore. I still have my great core group of friends. I'm friends with like eight of my best buddies from high school to this day. Um, but What's like the stupidest thing y'all have done together? Oh, I can't even say that legally. <laughs> Uh, I can't, um, but we've done uh, so many stupid things, dude. So many, so many, so many, so many, so many stupid things. Um, yeah. Oh gosh. Uh, I'll have to talk to my lawyer first, but <laughs> think about but, it next but, week. Think about the one that you're most comfortable bringing on this podcast for next week. Think about the one that you're most comfortable. You don't have to do names. Most I think that, I can, I can, I can absolutely tell you that right now. Uh, my mom was gone a lot mm-hmm. uh, and traveled a lot, so we basically were the party house. I mean, my brother was basically uh, American Pie's version of Stifler. Oh, Everybody, no. everyone knew my brother. He threw all the parties. I mean, you all older or younger, older, eighteen okay. months. So I mean, I grew up like I I came my freshman year in high school. Um, and everyone called me Little Swords, right? Because I was Ryan's little brother. Mm. And by the time that he had graduated high school and, you know, the, you know, kind of somewhat thrown had been passed down to me to throw parties or whatever, like, 
it got to the point where police knew we were going to have parties and it got to the point where like my mom would be like, I have to go run this errand or I'd go do this thing. And, you know, she was like a cool mom. She wasn't a bad mom by any means, but she was like, she let us party there when she probably shouldn't have. She'd rather us be, be here than there. Um, but it got to the point where like our school cop, local police would on the weekends, like, like literally drive by my house to see if we were throwing parties for underage drinking. I mean, that's literally how bad it was. And one night we were like at my house and my mom was like, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go see my, my sister who lived close, not, you know, kind of not down the street, but close. She's like, I'll probably be gone for a couple hours. Um, and we were like, let's throw a party. Like, like, let's get people over here as quickly as possible. And we didn't, we ended up getting probably like 80 people over in the span of the next hour and a half, two hours. And I mean, immediately, I mean, this was towards the end. We knew this was going to happen. Immediately cops show up, immediately party gets busted. My mom comes home within like, you know, almost towards the end. And she's just like, the fuck is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> Like we, we got to the point where we were just like, we would do things knowing that we weren't going to get away with it. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was not good. Oh my God. But it was fun. Interesting. Teenage years. I'd never throw a party at my house. I had the exact opposite house where, and also like I was talking to somebody about this last night where I, I don't like having people over in general. Do you like having people over at your place ever? Cause I don't. I like going to I other like, people's places and then just leaving and being like, that's yours to clean up. Uh, I'll see you later. So when we were growing up, like when I got out of high school, I had the first me and my, but me and two of my friends were like the first like kids out of high school to have an apartment. So we always threw parties there. Mm. Did not get that security deposit back. <laughs> uh, don't ever put a beer pong table on top of carpet. Not smart. Um, oh no. So we always had parties there and we ended up getting a house, always had parties there. So I'm so very used to always, but by the time you get, I mean, I'm 32 years old now. So like the last seven years of my life, I've lived on my own and had my own apartment. And so once you get to that position, you're no longer having people over. And then also around 24, even 23, like you stop going to house parties, you stop going to peaceful people's houses, you start going to bars. So uh, those days are over for me, but yeah, I was definitely, I was definitely the hey, let's come to my place and party kind of guy. I like it, I like it. All right, well, you got some homework for next week. Um, talk to your friends, figure out what uh, you're comfortable sharing, and uh, we'll do the AFC West next week. Hooray! AFC West. It's a, uh, it's uh, uh, an okay division. <laughs> division. Yeah. Wait, hold on. What when is the first game next Thursday? It really is. Yeah. Okay. Here's We're what we do instead. <clears throat> what if we just did an NFL is back Palooza? So okay. So today right now is Thursday. 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 Mm-hmm. Or when are we going to do the next podcast? Wednesday. Yes. So I think then what we have to do is a game preview of your Texans getting absolutely shit stomped by the Chiefs. Um. I don't think it's a guarantee. Those Thursday night games are always weird. Remember when the Chiefs uh, blew? Didn't they blow out the Pats coming off their win, and Cream Hunt went off? Am I misremembering that? Wasn't that the Thursday night opener where that was just yeah. weird? Where they just blew 
the fucking doors off. No, but they ended up losing though, right? Did they? Was it like a huge come from behind? Yeah, they. Oh, he yeah, fumbled. That was where the fumble the Texans stuff happened. Were, they started out super fast and they were beating the shit out of the Chiefs, and the Chiefs came back and won. Okay. So, yeah, we still got to finish up these division previews, and I mean, the season starts next week. Yeah, we're not going to make it. So, why don't we do uh, a, a lightning round okay. next week, and we'll finish with, a, with a, a game preview? There you go. Works for me. Go, team. There you go. Evan Sowards. Talk to you soon. All right. Goodbye, my friend. Goodbye, my friend. That was very serious. (laughs) Goodbye. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. Goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.